think that mic caught me going, ooh, as I was walking down those stairs. My back's not cooperating this morning. Before we turn to our passage, let's open up to Isaiah 25. In light of what we were just singing, even so come, Lord Jesus, come. The Lord brought these verses to my mind. has everything to do with what we're going to be looking at in the Gospel of Luke this morning. But as we wait for that day when he's coming again, we need to be reminded of these words in Isaiah 25. And I want to read these words so I can lead us into a time of prayer. Isaiah 25 and verse 6, here's the promise of the Lord. And all of, all of history has been looking forward to this day from the time that God said the seed of the woman was going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. The disciples, they were looking for that day. They wanted Jesus to be on his throne All of it looking for, Isaiah 25, verse 6, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken it will be said on that day behold this is our God we have waited for him that he might save us this is the Lord we have waited for him let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation and so we've got that promise in scripture and what we were just singing is in faith that this actually will happen. The Lord has spoken. This is going to take place. But then one more verse. We've, we've got to keep that, we've got to be, remain mindful of this. Look at Isaiah 26, verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock that's why we gather here today we have so much to celebrate in jesus but as we await that day even so come lord jesus come we know there are still tears on our faces there's still pain there's still difficulty we still struggle we still battle there's still sin we sin against others others sin against us and we need the lord as we were singing earlier We need him so much um, to come in and continue to do that work in our hearts. So let's bow for prayer right now. With every head bowed, all of us come in needy this morning. And I think we should acknowledge that. Some of you are struggling physically. Some of you are just battling certain disappointments emotionally in your lives. Some of you just feel dry spiritually. Some of you fight bitterness and anger. Some of you jealousy, envy. Some of you just feel dead inside and you need an awakening. Some of you got bad news this past week. Some of you long for marriage. Some long for their marriage to be different. Some of you long for kids. Some of you long for your children to be walking with the Lord. 
Some of you grieve loved ones you've lost. And so we come before the Lord. I'm going to give you a moment to pray right now. Just ask the Lord to meet you in your place of need. Where are your tears right now? Ask the Lord to meet you. Ask him to help you. Lord, every one of us in this room this morning is different. We're at different places of maturity in our walk with you. We have different struggles. But all of us sang that last song in faith. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. God, we wait. We long for that day. Lord, we want to be faithful as we await that day. And I pray for us as a body of believers that we would be good stewards of the lives that you've given us. And when we walk through difficulty, even the shadow of death, that we will fear no evil for you are with us. Lord, that we would put our trust in you, that our minds would be stayed on you and your promises. So Lord, for that person here this morning who needs some comfort, you are the God of all comfort. Would you bring that? For the person here this morning who needs that extra strength, would you mount them up like with wings like eagles? Lord, help them to soar, strengthen them for what's going on in their lives. Lord, for that battle with sin that someone in particular is feeling this morning, Lord, we pray for the power of the gospel to manifest itself in ways like it never has before, and that sin would be crushed. Lord, we need sins to be crushed. Lord, for the fruit of the Spirit that might be lacking in some of our hearts, we pray, Lord, in your mercy, please, Holy Spirit, fall on us in such a way that we give the evidence of you in the lives that we live. Lord, help us with that. Lord, where we may be struggling with lack of belief, would you teach us this morning? Would you impress on our hearts the certainty of your word you have spoken and we can rest in that lord all of our needs we pour out to you and as we sing the words of that song your grace is enough lord let that be enough today let it be enough for us that we were dead and you made us alive let it be enough for us today that we were worthy of eternity in hell and you adopted us into your family and gave us life Lord, let your grace be enough for us today to live righteously, to walk in newness of life, to extend to the world light. Lord, help us with that today. And as we open up our Bibles to Luke, Lord, would you teach us in this time? Would you help us to grow and learn? Open our hearts to worship you fully. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 today, verse 31. If you're using one of those Bibles next to you, it's page 878. Also want to draw your attention to the back of your bulletin. We've got a new look this week. 
don't have any mug shots on there. Instead, we have helpful information. And so you will be able to see that if you are interested in being a part of any of the ministries here at church. That's a good place to start, and it shows you who to contact. And so we're grateful for all those who are serving, as well as all those who are providing leadership in various areas. Let me read this passage for us this morning, then we want to work our way through it. Beginning in verse 31, we've been jumping around quite a bit. Um, I I was supposed to preach this last week and last week's passage this week, but I thought, you know, at least we're going to have a passage about Jesus going to die this week. So I flip-flopped them, and that's why we are here this week. Jesus says this, And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This past week, I did a little bit of study of Helen Keller in her life. Many of you know that name. She contracted a disease at 19 months of age that left her deaf and blind. And the story of her overcoming these limitations is remarkable. Um, She never let her deafness or blindness get in the way of fulfilling so many of her dreams. Even though she was not able to see or hear, she was a remarkable woman and accomplished so much in this world. Her limitations didn't hold her back. In fact, she realized in many ways that what she was given was a strength. Listen to some of these quotes that she said about people who can see. She says, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight with no vision. Very similar, she also said, the most pathetic, I thought that was a little strong, the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight but no vision. It's a terrible thing to see and have no vision. Today in our story, our our passage, we have two sections, and really both sections are about blindness. Jesus is explaining to the disciples what is about to happen to them, and, and they can't see it. They're blind about what's about to happen in front of them, their very eyes. And then in the second story, we have this blind beggar who can't see as well. Sight in both cases will be restored. We're going to find out that later on, the eyes of the disciples are opened up and they understand everything that's happening. Take some time, but they get there. We're going to see that this blind beggar, Jesus actually restores his sight. But we need to step back and think about it. In the second part of the story, the blind beggar, for him to have that blindness throughout his life really does not have an effect on his eternity. 
But if the disciples, if their blindness continues and they don't understand who Jesus is and what Jesus does, and what he accomplishes on that cross, that could have eternal ramifications for them. And that's why even in the second story, what's most significant in that passage is not that the blind man sees. It's that he actually knows who Jesus is and is able to follow him and enjoy him forever throughout all of eternity. The crowds are going to be watching what's going on, but they're not going to be able to see what is actually happening in front of them. We're, we're in Holy Week, this week where there's going to be a march toward the cross, and eventually Jesus is going to be celebrated, Hosanna, but then he's going to be put on the cross. They can see what's happening, but they don't see what's happening. The Bible is available now to most of the world, and the Bible puts it all in perspective for us, beginning to end, what God is up to, what God is about to do. People can see the words of the Bible, but they may not see the message that is there. In fact, even today in Egypt, as Palm Sunday opened up, ISIS bombed two different churches. At least 36 people are killed. More than 60 are wounded. There are people out there who who can see the message, but they don't really see it. And so this morning... I've entitled this message, Seeing What We Need to See. What's going to unfold with Jesus is a very physical, historical act. But what's taking place is much deeper than that. And it's what actually gives meaning to the second part of the passage. Let's look at the context of what's going on here. Look at verse 35 first. As he drew near to Jericho. So that's where we are. Jesus is just outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's getting closer and closer because we're coming upon that time where Jesus is going to go to the cross. Uh, Jericho is located on a major highway about 18 miles from Jerusalem. And it is a major tax center. Now we're taking all these stories out of, out of uh, order. But remember earlier when we went through Jesus and Zacchaeus in chapter 19 verse 1. He entered Jericho. That's that major tax center. And so who does Jesus find there? Well he finds a, a tax collector. Um, Zacchaeus there. And so they're getting close to Jericho at this point in Jesus' journey. We also see in verse 31, it says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. So they may be getting close to Jericho, but there's an end goal in mind, and that's to get them to Jerusalem. And this has been a focus throughout the story. I've I've mentioned it a few times, but let me just remind you again. In chapter 9, In verse 51, Luke is making it very clear that this story is going somewhere. Chapter 9, in verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Then we see in chapter 13, in verse 22, very similarly, just making these little side comments, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. That's where he's heading off to. Then in chapter 17, verse 11, even recently, on the way to Jerusalem. And now Jesus says it flat out to the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. That's where we're going to go. And he's going to tell them something about what's going to take place there. But let's also think about who's with him. In verse 31, it says, and taking the 12, he said to them, if we were to look at the the parallel gospel in Matthew chapter 20, verse 29, it notes that a great crowd is following him. So as he's moving toward Jerusalem, this crowd is beginning to swell in numbers. 
And so in the midst of all that, Jesus is going to pull the disciples aside because he has something that he wants to tell them. Time is getting close. And he wants to unfold for them what is about to happen. There are two points that I want us to see in this passage. First point is in verses 31 to 34. Jesus once again provides his mission. Jesus has known all along what he is about. And so one more time, he provides for the people or for the disciples, this is my mission. But then we're going to see in verses 35 to 43, Jesus once again proves his identity. He provides his mission, 31 to 34, then he proves his identity. And Jesus has been doing this throughout the Gospels as well. Who, who is he? Well, he's making it clear all along that he is divine. Not just human, but he's also divine. And he comes in the name of the Lord. And so the time is getting closer. Jesus once again provides his mission, verses 31 to 34. And really, the the overarching point of these verses is Jesus is continuing to be faithful in fulfilling God's plan for his life. He knew why he came. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus knows why he came. He's stewarding his life. In fact, Jesus is the perfect example for us of what it means to be a good steward of the life that God gave him to walk upon the face of the earth. That's why we're to constantly be thinking about why are we here? What are we to be stewarding? What does God call us to do in our own lives? But Jesus is faithful in following. Let me make three points in 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 these four verses here. 31, 32, 33, 34, 35. Yes, 34. Four verses we got here. First point I want to make is prophecy will be filled completely. Verse 31. See, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything, everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. When you go through prophetic literature... There is so much that's pointing to what's going on in Jesus' life in these events. My brother is a pastor in New Hampshire. This morning he's going through the book of Jeremiah and talked about the righteous branch that was coming. There it is right there talking about this one who's going to come. We think about, especially in this week, passages like Isaiah 53 where the suffering servant and God's going to pour out on this particular suffering servant the iniquities of all that he might justify. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. But prophecy is going to be fulfilled. This all began in Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. All of this is pointing towards this one who is coming. And Jesus says to the disciples, everything that has been written about the Son of Man, it's going to be fulfilled at this point, God's word can be trusted. This morning we read in Isaiah 25, the, the Lord has spoken. You can trust that. You can rest in that. One of the main points in the book of Isaiah, I'm teaching a class on Isaiah this semester. One of the main points is what, what God does, he tells beforehand what he's going to do and then he does it. And this is another example of that. Everything throughout the Old Testament pointing to this day, it will be fulfilled. God has spoken it and it will come to pass. And we're going to see that take place. And the Son of Man here is just, again, there's a lot of Old Testament imagery with that particular word. But very clearly this is Christ. This is the Messiah. Because later on, in Luke 24, 46, when Jesus uses some of these same words, he refers to Messiah. This promised one. 
the Son of Man, Messiah. This is that person who's been prophesied throughout the Old Testament. The second thing I want us to notice in these verses is about blindness in verse 34. The disciples will have some blindness for a time. Notice how it says it three times and in three different ways. As if you don't get it the first time, it's going to repeat it. If you don't get it the second time, it's going to repeat it again. But they understood none of these things, period. It could stop right there. It doesn't. This saying was hidden from them, period. You could stop right there. That says it. And they did not grasp what was said, period. You can stop right there. Three times. Any questions about whether or not the disciples understood what was going on when Jesus said these words? There should be none because three different times, three different ways, Jesus, the, the text makes it clear, Luke is bringing out this story for us, that they do not know what's going on. Now, we do know that there's going to be clarity later on. But even in passages like Matthew 16, 22, when, when Jesus is unfolding for the disciples what's going to happen, Peter stands up and says, no, enough of this. You don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. I mean, they struggled with all of this. Anything that had to do with suffering and what was going to take place. Why? Because Messiah was going to be their king. That's what they looked forward to was the king. They wanted Jesus on the throne. They wanted Rome out of the way. Jesus on his throne. Wipe away every tear. But there's a problem with getting the kingdom in that way. If Jesus took the kingdom in that way, there would be no one in the kingdom. Because Jesus needed to die. The way to ascend to his throne is through the cross so that people might join him in the kingdom. There would be no kingdom dwellers if Jesus doesn't go to the cross. Sin must be atoned for. And so Jesus is going to make this very clear to them later on. When you get to chapter 24, there, there's an eye-opening experience where the disciples all of a sudden begin to get this. It's like, oh, and that transformed their lives. Just transformed their lives as these disciples then took the mantle and began to take the gospel to the world. The third point we're going to see in these verses is Jesus is not simply predicting the brutal end of his life on this earth. Jesus isn't just saying, all right, I'm going to die a martyr. Just want you guys to know ahead of time. Jesus is ultimately announcing the sacrifice that is going to pay for the sins of the world. This is not an ordinary death. This is not just a time where Jesus has been a good man, walked the face of the earth, and then he's going to die. It is going to be a brutal death. Jesus makes that very clear. They're going up to Jerusalem. He's going to be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked. He will be shamefully treated. He will be spit upon. They will flog him. Then they will kill him. As he's hanging on a cross, and on the third day, he will rise. It's going to be a very physical death, but there's something much bigger that's taking place here. And Jesus has had this as his focus throughout. Again, we could just work our way through Luke chapter 9, verse 22, chapter 9, verses 44 and 45, chapter 12, verses 49 and 50, chapter 13, verses 32 and 33, chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. And now, once again, Jesus makes it clear the Son of Man is going to suffer. This is why I'm here. 
I didn't come just to do good works, raise people from the dead, give sight to the blind, heal people of various diseases, line them all up and I can heal them all. But that's not actually why I came. All of this, all of these healings is to simply show you who I am. And when I go to that cross, it's going to mean something. And so Jesus goes to the cross. And it says there, they will kill him. They're going to put him on a cross. He's going to die a criminal's death on that cross. But we need to understand that what's going to happen on that cross is both a physical story and a spiritual story. Look quickly at Acts chapter 2, verses 23 and 24. As we go through this week, we need to be very clear about what happens when Jesus goes to the cross. Even as we think about Jesus' prediction here, we need to be very clear about what is taking place. It's a physical death, brutal, it's horrible what's happening. That's the human side of the story. But there's also a spiritual story, go, story going on here. Chapter 2 of Acts, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. In other words, all these things that I've been doing, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, raising the dead, I'm attesting myself to you. Signs were to produce belief. That's a general principle you see in the Bible. So Jesus gives the sign, and now you can believe in who I am. Mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Now notice the, the human side of this story and the spiritual side. This Jesus, here's the spiritual side, the divine side, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That's the spiritual side of the story. This is big. This is not an ordinary death. This is God's definite plan. This is according to his foreknowledge. But then you've got the human side. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So when Jesus talks about this back in Luke 18, that they're going to kill him, it's going to be by these deeds of lawless men that this takes place. But don't lose sight one single bit. When Jesus gives all that information in those verses, this is the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It's not just a physical story. It is also a spiritual story. Jesus is not predicting any ordinary death. The big picture is this. And this is what we all need to embrace this morning. The big picture is this. Instead of condemning us, instead of destroying us, instead of pouring out his wrath on us, God makes a way through a substitute. Blood for blood, life for life, when Jesus is going to die on the cross. The life of another can be offered in the place of the one who deserves God's wrath, who stands condemned before God, a condemnation that should result in physical death and eternal death. And God makes a way. Jesus says, I'm going to the cross. The big picture, this is the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And this is going to be for your salvation. It's going to be for your redemption. Life for life. A substitute's blood is shed, and instead of condemnation leading to death, God then offers forgiveness of sins. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. This is not just a physical story. This is the definite plan and foreknowledge of God to bring forgiveness of sins to people. And so it was with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. As they ate of that fruit that they were not supposed to eat of, instead of condemnation leading to death, there was a substitute. There, I don't know of any other way to read Genesis 3.21. God removed their, fig, their clothes of fig leaves and gave them animal skin. I believe that blood was shed there, life for life. Rather than dying right there on the spot, God pouring out his condemnation on them, they were given life. Life for life, a blood substitute. They received forgiveness of sins. God is making a way through the shedding of blood. And so the words, the definite plan and foreknowledge of God is just echoing through the pages of the Old Testament, looking for that day when God is going to bring this about. After Adam and Eve, sin continues Abel brings his blood sacrifice to the Lord. There still needs to be forgiveness of sins. After Noah gets off the ark, burnt offerings, these blood offerings still being offered, life for life. When the law is given to the nation of Israel, lots of law about the shedding of blood, life for life. Why? So there can be forgiveness of sins. Everything in the Old Testament, though, is pointing to something that's way bigger Way bigger than just an animal sacrifice. Something bigger is going to take place. And so in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 when it says the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Or when God says to Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And through you all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Something much bigger than just Abraham's child. All of this is pointing to the coming of the promised one. The son of man who is going to go to the cross. Isaiah 53, the suffering servant The disciples and other religious leaders had no idea how to pull together the suffering servant and the coming king and put him into one person. They had no idea how all of that was going to unfold. But all that was pointing to this day the Lord's going to lay on him the iniquity of us all. And he would justify. How is God going to bring that about? See, there's one problem. It's that these sins, had to, these sacrifices had to be offered over and over and over. Blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed. Blood had to be shed daily, weekly, yearly. Blood being shed over and over. And Hebrews makes it very clear that all those sacrifices were pointing to something bigger. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. These were just these little S sacrifices. The capital S sacrifice was on its way. It was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to bring about forgiveness of sins. It needed a better sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus. And so eventually, all the Old Testament is just waiting. You've got all these prophetic passages where they're pointing to something that's going to happen. And then finally, Jesus comes on the scene. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. Same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. His cousin John the Baptist sees Him coming, and he notes, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what Jesus is saying when he says that all these things are going to happen. They're going to mock me, shamefully treat me, spit upon me, flog me, and then they're going to kill me. The Lamb of God who takes away 
the sins of the world. This is so much more than a physical story. Romans 3 makes it very clear in verses 21 or 23 to 26 that what's happening as lawless men put Jesus on the cross, what's happening is God is putting forward a public display, Jesus as our propitiation. Fancy word simply means God poured out all his wrath. His wrath is satisfied. Jesus was our propitiation. Jesus is the satisfaction of God's wrath. All the wrath that we deserve, all the wrath from the beginning of time, Adam and Eve, everybody, constantly throughout this time, God pours out all wrath on Jesus. So when Jesus says the Son of Man is going to be killed, he's saying to the disciples, listen, throughout all time, Everything in history, beginning with Adam and Eve and the seed of the woman that's going to crush the head of the seed of the serpent, everything in history is looking forward to this day right here. And lawless men are going to put me on the cross, but don't you lose sight of the fact this is the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that you might be redeemed. The definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus, once again, provides his mission. And so as we go into this week and we, we remember even Good Friday, we're, that's at that moment that we'll be taking, um, as all three campuses come together, participating in the Lord's Supper, what will we be doing? We'll be remembering his death, burial, his resurrection on our behalf. It was a physical story, but there's a spiritual implication to this. It's how we now have eternal life. It's how we now have abundant life. But why Jesus? Does Jesus, is his death going to be really anything special? Is it really going to be anything special? It's so interesting that right after this moment, we move into this blind beggar scene. Can Jesus' death really accomplish anything? It's almost as if Luke says, that's a good question. Watch this. And Jesus once again proves his identity in verses 35 to 43. What Jesus does in this scene as he meets this blind beggar authenticates what he will do when he dies. It's not just about physical sight. Your faith has saved you. It's about eternal life ultimately. His Death is no ordinary death because he's no ordinary man. Luke says he's no ordinary man. Watch this. Watch what he does. The disciples can rest in everything that's about to unfold. They don't, but they can because of who he is. As Jesus goes through all the events that are going to happen, the disciples scatter. They're running in all different directions. Jesus is doing everything he can leading into that time to show the disciples who he is. To show the crowds who he is. And so these crowds are going to, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And then within a matter of days, they're going to be saying, crucify him. Put him on a cross. Because their blindness will continue on. But Jesus proves his identity here. So in verse 35, again, he's drawing near to Jer Jericho. And a blind man is sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired, 
What this means, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. Notice the title given to Jesus. Jesus, the one from Nazareth. You know, the, the carpenter's son. You've heard some things about him. He's coming by. But notice how this blind man actually is the only one in this story who can see. He's the only one in this story who can see. What does he say? He cries out, Jesus, not of Nazareth. Jesus, son of David. And this is amazing. This is the first public, directly messianic confession of Jesus. It's by a blind beggar by the side of the road as the crowds were coming. He proclaims who Jesus is. Verse 41, he also calls him Lord And so we see this incredible person who cannot see physically, but he can see spiritually. This is the sight we all need to have. We need to see the things we need to see. This is being withheld from the disciples, but this blind beggar can see very clearly who Jesus is, the son of David. And again, that's a loaded term. Jesus is not just the son of man. He's the son of David. He's the rightful heir to the throne. He's the one that's going to suffer. He's the one that's going to die. He's the one that's going to be buried and rise the third day. But he's the son of David. He's going to take his throne. A lot going on in this passage as Luke unfolds all this for us. Luke wants us to see it all. And so he just lays it all out there. This is the last miracle in Luke. We're getting ready to go into those last days. And it demonstrates one more time that Jesus is who he says he is. That what Jesus is going to do on that cross is going to have eternal consequences for those who put their faith and trust in him. That Jesus is in fact fulfilling Isaiah 61. Remember how Jesus came on the scene back in Luke 4? He stood up and he read the Isaiah scroll. And he talks about the kingdom coming and, the, and people being healed, the prisoner being set three, free. Jesus is actually doing that. He's been consistent throughout his entire life. He stood up and he read that Isaiah passage from the Isaiah scroll. And he said to the people, today, this passage has been fulfilled in your midst. And Jesus has verified it over and over and over again. And he's doing it one more time in this passage in front of us. One more time, he is the one who's been promised. So, what is about to happen as he goes to the cross is, in fact, all the fulfillment of the prophecies of Messiah. Now, that would be hard to know the Old Testament and understand that one was coming, the Messiah, and he was the one that was going to bring about redemption for all people. That would be hard. I mean, think about the people you went to high school with. Imagine one of them being Jesus. I'm Jesus. Today this has been fulfilled in your midst. Excuse me? You can't even start on the football team. What do you mean you're Jesus? But Jesus over and over and over has been verifying this. The religious leaders are angry. They're jealous. They're envious. Their whole world is falling apart. But Jesus is saying, I am he. Come here, blind beggar. I want you to see. Matthew tells us that the blind beggar's name was Bartimaeus. We also see that there was two beggars who were blind who were there. We also see in parallel accounts that Jesus actually touched their eyes. 
doesn't matter the details. We don't want to miss what we need to see. This is the one. This is the one who actually can go to the cross. And so Jesus, because he's the one, what does he say? He says, what do you want me to do? The blind man says, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus says, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. In other words, I think he's saying to that blind beggar, you know who I am. Your faith has saved you. You are looking to the right one. You are looking to the right one. You can actually see, but let me give you sight as well. So Jesus highlights his faith. The man that can now see glorifies God. He can now not only see physically, but he can, he's seeing spiritually as well. And that's the kind of sight we need to have. The disciples, they're not going to be able to see all that's taking place. Eventually, Jesus is going to give them that understanding. They'll be able to understand fully what was going on. But here's this blind beggar beside the road. He already gets it. Son of David. You see, God's treasures come through faith. And so even as we think again about how we started with Isaiah, and we think about that coming day, as we wait for that day, it's out there. It can seem so far away. Difficulty can, be, can seem like it's so much. There could be so much hardship that we're up against. Relational difficulties, battles with sin, jealousy, envy, all those things. Marriages can be tough. You know, just your parents can seem like they're weird. Your children can just seem like they're walking away from the Lord. We're trying to fight through all these battles. As we await that day, we can await it with confidence because of who Jesus is. And Luke is saying to us today, see who Jesus is. See who he is, just like the blind man saw him. Don't miss him like the rich young ruler did. We've done all these out of sync, but you just go back a little bit. Is when Jesus encountered that rich young ruler. He had everything, and he encountered Jesus, and he leaves with nothing. The blind beggar had nothing, and he encounters Jesus, and he leaves with everything. And Luke is saying, see who Jesus is. Seem like the blind beggar did. Don't miss him like the rich young ruler did. And so again, we just step back from the story. Which blindness is worse? Is it the blindness that doesn't fully see what Jesus is doing and never gets it? Or is it a blind beggar by the side of the road? If you never get who Jesus is, that blindness is worse than any other blindness. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 through 6, it talks about Satan has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. It's Jesus who gives sight. As we look to him as the son of David, and as we trust him as the only one who can offer us the forgiveness of sins. So if you have never seen Jesus for who he is today, up to this point, let today be the day where you see him for who he is. Not just another man who walked the face of the earth, but your only hope for salvation. Life for life. He died in your place so that you could know life. But maybe you understand the words of the gospel. You know Jesus died, buried, rose again, ascended to the Father. You can recite all those. You can give me proof text for each one of them. But maybe you've been struggling with making Jesus Lord of your life. 
Jesus has been making it very clear that what it means to follow him is to live under his rule and reign, to make his priorities our priorities, to steward our life to his honor and glory. It's his breath in our lungs. And so we pour out our praise to him. We give everything to him. Luke is saying to us today, see who Jesus is. Don't miss him like the rich young ruler. See him like the blind beggar saw him and yield yourselves to his rule and reign. Make his priorities your priorities. See, when we go through a book like Luke, it can almost seem like a broken record. And sometimes that's what we need, isn't it? Yield to his rule and reign. Make his priorities your priorities. How do we bring that into our life? That's what Jesus wants to do. It's his breath in our lungs, and so we pour out our praise. Let's pray together. The team is going to come and lead us in some songs. But what is the Lord speaking to you today? Do you need to see Jesus for the first time and, and give your complete life to him? Confess him in the same way the blind beggar did. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Claim his death on your behalf. Ask the Father in heaven for forgiveness based on Jesus' shed blood. That's the only hope you have is to put your trust and your faith in Jesus. Perhaps you're still struggling with yielding to the rule and reign of Jesus and making his priorities your priorities. Ask God to help you with that. Give him your money. Give him your time. Give him your relationships. So take a few moments to pray, and then Dan and the team will lead us in some songs.